whose knowledge is valued, whose history is valued, whose culture is valued, and whose land we are living on, we are working on, and we are making interventions. Hello, Dallas Rogers here from City Road Podcast, and welcome to this very special series on transforming infrastructure governance. We've got some really great conversations coming for you in this series, and in this one, we start at the beginning. What is infrastructure? What is governance? And I start this conversation by asking Tehran Elizahe about the Infrastructure Governance Incubator, the project that all these conversations are coming out of. You'll also hear from Rebecca Clements in this interview, the postdoctoral researcher working on the Incubator project. Hello, Dallas. Thank you for having us. And it's great to be able to share uh, the work that we've been doing over the last three years. Infrastructure Governance Incubator is a multidisciplinary, multi-university research platform funded by the Henry Halloran uh, Research Trust involving the University of Sydney, the Melbourne University and uh, Monash University. The Infrastructure Governance Incubator allowed us to learn from a diversity of voices engaged or excluded from one of the biggest infrastructure district planning mega projects, if not mega district project that are happening on this land at this point of time. Uh, There are a core team, including um, you, Rebecca, that is here with us, Crystal Legacy, uh, Litton Camera-Zaman, Glenn Searle, and I'm the lead on the project. We also have a fantastic advisory board that brings a diversity of uh, infrastructure stakeholders together from New South Wales, but also Victoria. We also have been privileged by having PIA New South Wales and PIA Victoria as our official partners from the beginning of this project. I guess by now people are probably wondering how you went about collecting all these ideas and all this data. Could you just tell me about the different ways you've been doing this research? Sure. The first major step that we took in this research after forming our wonderful advisory board uh, was uh, the systematic literature review. And it allowed us to have a better understanding of the gaps in the literature. Then, in consultation with our advisory board, we decided on a case study that could be the core of investigations. Um, There were quite a few cases that were perhaps examined, and there was a consensus about Western Sydney Parkland City as being the case that the entire nation is keeping an eye on. This is an innovative case that uh, is playing a significant role in reshaping the metropolitan um, region of Sydney at the back of the federal um, government's promises around the new airport. Um, There are some innovative governance structure put in place, including the Western Sydney deal, which is the largest city deal of its kind around the nation, and uh, some other local uh, component like infrastructure component. What we did was that we have been able to conduct 52 interviews, bringing a very diverse um, group of stakeholders to the table. This includes some very high rank 
former current ministers, secretaries, deputy secretaries from federal and state uh, level government, high rank uh, local government voices, but also a lot of non-government voices, those who were consulted or those who felt that they were excluded or bypassed. And I'd like to remind everyone, including ourselves, that that says something about the importance of infrastructure, regardless of these individuals' different perspective and point of view. Excellent. And I guess then the first place to start really is what is governance in relation to this project that you're doing? It's a good question. Uh, Governance sounds a bit like government, but they're not exactly the same thing. If I had to define the differences, I would say that uh, from governance perspective, you're talking and thinking about the diversity of actors that play a role in decision making. And in terms of infrastructure governance, then I don't think that anyone would uh, disagree that government or in the Australian context, different levels of governments play their designated role in terms of infrastructure uh, decision-making all the way from planning, funding, and implementation. In saying so, there's again no surprise that there are other non-governmental actors uh, like major private landowners, like a private lobbyist that have their own commercial and financial interests. What makes the concept of governance or the governance approach most interesting to a person like me is that we also think, talk and investigate what I like to call absentee actors. Those that from a justice perspective, from a right framework should have been involved, should have had a seat at the decision making table, but were excluded for so many different reasons. By thinking, talking, investigating the absentee actors, you will be in a position and we were in a position to take a transformative approach from the beginning of the project that hopefully we get to talk more about. Excellent. And Rebecca, what do you think about this idea of governance? So in addition to what Turin was saying um, and kind of that focus on uh, the diversity of actors who are involved, I think governance is also a really great area for being able to interrogate questions of power. So we often focus, I think, in a lot of, you know, media and, and, you know, community public discourse on infrastructure, on uh, particular policies, particular projects that should be prioritised and even perhaps the design of those projects, et cetera, and, you know, how quickly they'll be delivered, et cetera. But I think there's so many questions that are wrapped up in the kind of governance angles that are, uh, kind of allow us space to ask questions about um, what are the kind of what are the sort of the broader phenomena of things that are that are shaping the context of decision making? What are the various uh, political matters that um, are playing a role in that context? And also kind of uh, issues uh, of accountability, um, how we're integrating different things, uh, different infrastructures across sectors or with other areas of, of planning and, and, and whatnot. Uh, so it asks really interesting questions like who decides and how, how is power distributed, uh, who is accountable to whom, and yeah, so there's a lot of really interesting questions in that. I really like that idea of very expansive notion of governance. So it's not just governing something, it's 
the governance process that includes the actors that are there, that aren't there, and even the actions that perhaps should have been taken that weren't. So I, re- I really like this very expansive notion of governance. Actually, one thing I should add to that, just to jump in since we're, we're talking about this. So also included in this, of course, in the Australian context is, our, um, is the context of settler coloniality uh, in infrastructure, which is still not discussed enough. So things like this are really important to kind of inject into these governance inquiries and the governance conversations that we're having. How are we dealing with planning on unceded land? So this is one of the things our project uh, tries to look into. Basically, the First Nations uh, and the First Nation voices will be among, if not the biggest, absentee voices in many infrastructure decision-making process on this land, unfortunately. Okay, so we've dealt with what is government, what is governance, and I really love this expansive notion of governance. I hope that you do the same thing with infrastructure. I'd like to hear now what, how you're defining this, this idea of infrastructure that you're using in this research. Yeah, so that's another really interesting one, of course, and it's just as complicated in a sense. What we count as infrastructure in in context of place and city making um, is itself a very political question. For example, um, many of us know that uh, housing is often not included in formal designations of infrastructure, and that has all kinds of very complex implications. In planning and policy spaces, we uh, still often tend to focus on quite standard categories such as transport, green infrastructure such as um, parks and other kinds of uh, green spaces, water infrastructure, etc. But a lot of existing and emerging research increasingly challenges a lot of these categories, uh, challenges our sort of traditional focuses on more uh, hard infrastructure or even our uh, focuses on, on mega projects trying to better account for uh, that great diversity um, of infrastructures and how we think about infrastructure in terms of building communities and building places. Uh, So this might include more community and social infrastructures, which is a really diverse category just on its own. Um, Some people talk about infrastructures of care in a lot of really uh, diverse ways. Um, That's becoming a very important conversation. Some people talk about people as infrastructure. So it really is a very, very complex uh, question on its own. I really like that notion of infrastructure. Maybe one I'd add is private property as an infrastructure. I like to think of it as an infrastructure that's getting laid across the land as well. Taran, what do you think about this idea of infrastructure? Being uh, infrastructure and urban researchers, we're very aware of the sectoral notion of uh, infrastructure governance that uh, is the dominant mode in Australia, but perhaps even on the international scale. So from the beginning, we made this clear decision that we will go beyond different sectors and we will take an intersectoral and broad definition of uh, infrastructure. In saying so, when we conducted the literature review, and our literature review was mostly coming from an urbanism research perspective, urban geography, urban planning, and related fields. There were a number of infrastructure sectors that showed up more prevalently. The very first infrastructure sector that showed up in our systematic literature review, that might be a bit surprising to some, was water. The second one, close second one, was um, transport infrastructure. I am sure that many would have expected those two to be the other way around. This was followed by green infrastructure, 
And then there were a few with a bit of distance, uh, secondary rounds, if you like, including community infrastructure, uh, telecom infrastructure, waste infrastructure, and housing, although it's not usually included in the official definition of infrastructure in Australia, did show up in these second groups of infrastructure sector in the broader infrastructure governance literature. Yeah, that's really interesting, just thinking about the history of cities. I guess I would expect water and mobility, water and transport to feature as infrastructures, given that there have been such important infrastructural projects in the uh, history of cities. But I really like here the the new infrastructures, if you like, community infrastructure and kind of thinking as you were before about housing being an infrastructure. Okay, so we've been talking there about infrastructure governance and what appears in the literature and what you've been finding. What are some of the gaps when we think about infrastructure governance, Taran? Again, at the back of the systematic literature review that we conducted, we have identified a range of gaps in the literature. Uh, If I had to limit myself to the top three gaps, I would start by the deafening silence that we observed on the issues of infrastructure decision-making on unceded First Nations land, especially in settler colonial contexts like Australia. And unfortunately, what we observed was that even in comparative sense, when we put Australia next to other similar settler colonial contexts, our size of gap or the extent of silence is even deeper. At the back of that, what it means is that there is a lot of need to have a better understanding of the innovative infrastructure governance approaches already taken by the First Nation to be able to learn from them and to hopefully embed them into the mainstream infrastructure decision-making. The second major gap that we identified is something that we call end goal, as uh, we believe that there is um, a gap in the literature in terms of speculating, clarifying, and then aiming for what's the environmental and societal end goals of infrastructure investment. Interestingly, this is a gap that has been identified in quite a number of other disciplines, all the way from project management to business and even engineering. The term that they seem to be using is ESG, which stands for Environmental, Societal and Governance Goals of Infrastructure. So there seems to be a bit of interdisciplinary consensus around this gap in the infrastructure literature. The third major gap that we identified, which is not uh, divorced from the previous two, is about the issues of integration in infrastructure governance. Interestingly, this is not a topic that is not discussed. If anything, if I remember correctly, 85% of the literature that talk about infrastructure governance in one way or another deal with the issue of integration. The problem is that the discussions usually stay at a shallow level, are mostly limited to project level, or a specific case study level, and don't go beyond that to the broader systematic issues around integration and definitely fall short of offering any solution or any way forward. So I like that thinking around end goals and integration there. 
And just so just a follow-up question really about is the end goal of infrastructure compromised or harder to achieve when the political objectives of infrastructure get in the way? So I'm thinking about infrastructure just being a political football. People build and fund infrastructure to get votes. They build certain types of infrastructure to rally certain types of constituencies. And then the integration component there is, well, that infrastructure will be poorly integrated if we start with those goals. Rebecca? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, In so many ways. And I think most of us would probably have that understanding just from our lived experiences, even without looking at the research. We understand that You know, infrastructure is often, as you say, a political football for various reasons. No matter what kind of infrastructure we're talking about, we're talking about huge sums of public and private money. We're talking about relationship building and networking. We're talking about voting constituencies and and all of those various political issues that kind of get wrapped up in this. And also, as you mentioned before, private property. And it's all intertwined with the kind of struggle to define urban futures, to define the relationships between government and society, to define the place of the private sector and markets and the kind of power that they have. So, you know, all of these complicated political questions are wrapped up in infrastructure and a lot of them are, are kind of on the surface, you know, playing out in the public realm for us all to see. So it's it's very much a big complicated series of questions that need to be cracked open and talked about very explicitly for us to even be able to begin dealing with them. It's very hard to shape the conversation when there are so many big players who are seeking to kind of define and answer these questions. I guess that's why we need this expansive notion of infrastructure governance as a starting point. I guess we've talked about uh, some of the challenges and some of the gaps and some of the problems with infrastructure governance, but you're also very interested in the idea of transformation and looking forward. How do we challenge, productively challenge some of these challenges that we're seeing? Taran? We as a team keep talking about the contribution that our work can do. And in summary, I think we have some sense of agreement about the two-folded contribution. One is about elevating the discourse as we have made it clear that by renewing an infrastructure governance research agenda, this time we are calling for the First Nation issues and the issues of making infrastructure decision on unceded First Nation land, the core of the conversation, as part of our professional contribution to the treaty conversation that we are having on this land at this point of time. So that's a long-term goal that is acknowledged and I understood even by First Nation voices that go well beyond one discipline or another. In saying so, we have also identified quite a number of what could be described as low-hanging fruits. The steps that could be taken almost like tomorrow, if not yesterday, (laughs) that could make a difference in terms of making our infrastructure governance structure more transparent, uh, more responsive, and more inclusive. 
I'm hoping that we get a chance to talk about those specific steps in the following sessions. But I think it's good to remind ourselves that there is a long-term goal that we are making, hopefully, the next right step towards. But there are also things that can be done right now and are not without the reach that could make a difference. So Rebecca, do you want to have a go at telling us some of those things that we could do right now? Yeah, sure. Um, identifying things is certainly easier than getting them done. So there's that goes back to the questions of understanding the context of power and understanding, you know, uh, thinking about our agency within this situation. But nevertheless, some of the things that we looked at are around accountability and transparency And in that particular realm, it's kind of easy to point to certain things and go, well, that should be more accountable, that should be more transparent. But of course, that's a very, very, very difficult thing to actually achieve within, you know, a living political context with all of the uh, power issues that we all understand. So um, we also talk about uh, ways that we might think about building better social legitimacy. And that's another very complicated question that also grapples with the questions of of power and even integration, which is such an enormous topic that means so many different things. There are, uh, as Taryn suggested, there is a lot of low-hanging fruit, but understanding why that low-hanging fruit remains elusive, you know, is is an important part of trying to move things forward, I suppose. What about this whole idea of transformation? So we can transform a political system and an intergovernmental system, we could transform the way that communities relate to infrastructure, we could transform the whole idea of what infrastructure is for. How are you thinking about this idea of transformation, Taran? That's part of the two-folded way of thinking, long-term and short-term, because transformation could be as simple and as limited of tweaking something and could go all the way of abolishing a system or a part of the system. Where we want to end, I like to think that, again, in short term, some of the tweaks are meaningful. And in long term, there need to be some more fundamental changes in relation to the power structure that Rebecca was talking about, whose knowledge is valued, whose history is valued, whose culture is valued, and whose land we are living on, we are working on, and we are making interventions. There's a lot of big ideas there and a lot of big changes or some some big goals for some big changes. But how do we actually physically, politically get those things done? We are trying to be realistic in this project. And um, part of it is that that is all that is within our power. <laughs> Another part of it comes from our disciplinary background. Quite a number of us, you know, being urban planners and knowing about the uh, limits of uh, what can be done. But also there is a true urge within our team to be able to make a change on the ground. So we are following an incremental approach starting by what I described as low-hanging fruit. But elevating the discourse is also part of what we do because we don't want to lose sight of what is possible. We don't want to lose sight of alternative ways of doing, even if they're not within our uh, power of making the change immediately. Because I think by 
keeping this conversation open, by bringing new voices to this conversation, we are allowing for transformation to stay on the agenda. Yeah, and I also think that you can be making incremental little changes, for example, to a planning system that are very practical and easy to implement, while also talking about Indigenous dispossession of land, of corruption, of transparency, of the social good, these bigger questions as well. As you say, there's a discursive component and an incremental practical component. So I like the way that those two things have been put together. Rebecca, what's it been like to do this? You've been uh, on the ground, so to speak. I know that everyone else has been helping, but you've been largely, you know, running the, f- the fieldwork bid, if I could say that. What's it like to manage something like this? Oh, it's it has been a huge project. We ended up doing 55 of these anonymous um, interviews and I have changed my way of thinking many times throughout the process, learning from so many different people from so many different perspectives. Um, And I'll I'll probably also mention that the context of doing anonymous interviews was a really key um, part of the method because obviously this is a very live project with a lot of different complicated interests and a lot of, um, you know, very like living relationships. So uh, particularly when you're speaking to people in government or other kinds of institutions, there is often a difficulty for those people to say certain things, even if they're not particularly controversial, uh, without being given the kind of cover that anonymity provides. So um, that at least allowed people to feel a lot more comfortable speaking about their experiences, their concerns. And it's not just about this project, but about the way that we approach planning and infrastructure in New South Wales and Australia in general. It allowed them to give a lot more human responses, I think, rather than the kind of uh, more official responses that you might get from particularly, you know, government government officials ordinarily. Hey, Rebecca and Taran, thanks so much for joining us on City Road Podcast. Thank you so much for Thank having us. Thank you for having us. All right, that's the end of episode one. I hope you enjoyed it. And in the next episode, we have a, well, a mini episode, really, on the systematic lit review or the systematic literature review. What is it? Where did it come from? And how do we use it in these types of projects? So make sure you listen in to episode number two in this series on transforming urban governance. I'm Dallas. See you later.